I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers from KLCC Studios. My guest today is Raj Vable, the founder of Young Mountain Tea in Springfield. Young Mountain is a mission-driven entity that not only provides the products to consumers, but works to improve the lives and livelihoods of the farmers in the Himalayan region where the tea is grown. Raj Vable, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming in. So before we get into the story of Young Mountain Tea, I'd love to talk about your background. How did you get to be the owner of a tea company and and, and all that you do? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, that story really begins with my parents. Uh, They migrated from India to the U.S. in the 70s for their graduate studies and ended up settling in a very small town on the shores of Lake Superior, which is where I was born and brought up. Okay. Um, So, yeah, growing up, I was in love with music. That was my first and uh, deepest passion. Um, And that passion brought me into electrical engineering because I uh, realized that despite my my views of my talents, I was never going to be big enough to go on tour, so I thought maybe I could do sound recording for the <laughs> artists I love. Um, so you're, you're comfortable in a sound studio like we're in now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually very cool to see the technology and the evolution from the 15 years ago when I was more plugged in. Um, but yeah, I, I studied electrical engineering at the University of Michigan. Um, I really enjoyed the studies, uh, but was desperate for connecting the engineering uh, skill set to something wider. Um, so in my senior year of college, I began a project with my mother's ancestral village to power a school with solar. Um, and that project changed my life. It introduced me really to my Indian identity for the first time in a deep way. Uh, But connected to that, the gulf of opportunity that exists between people who grow up in rural agricultural settings and uh, versus my upbringing, which is also rural, uh, but sort of with the access to resources, education and opportunity that the U.S. has. Um, and, And recognizing that gulf of opportunity has kind of become the cornerstone driving force for my life. Okay. Um, That project led to others and eventually north up into the mountains, uh, the Himalayas or the Himalaya. Um, And I was working with a nonprofit there, um, bouncing between the U.S. and India. Uh, I moved out to Eugene for my master's in environmental studies. um, And then after that, got a Fulbright fellowship to go back to India. Um, And so it was on that Fulbright. uh, I went in sort of knowing I was going to come out doing something other than engineering, but I wasn't clear what. I just knew that I loved being in the mountains. I loved working across cultures uh, with rural farmers specifically. Uh, brought me a different type of joy, and I saw there's a place that I could help. Um, so uh, it, Young Mountain started in 2013 with a promise to a cooperative of farmers that if they would grow tea, I would set up a company in the U.S. to sell it. And neither side really knowing what we were committing to, we shook hands and got to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because um, you probably, other than being a consumer, probably didn't know much about growing tea at the time. So, so kind of what, what was that learning process like? Yeah, it's a steep learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon out. the pun, the Himalayas and yeah, steep. Yeah, but. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I didn't even. <laughs> it just comes out now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it was learning as we go, which okay. I think kind of embodies the entrepreneurial journey, <laughs> uh, and certainly uh, my experience um, of recognizing that. Um, yeah, many things we didn't know. We thought we we sort of had book knowledge. Uh, the farmers are, that we were working with are very accomplished at growing 
annual crops like ginger, potatoes, mustard. Okay. Um, but tea is a perennial um, that takes two years to reach any sort of harvestability and seven years to reach full maturity was a different kind of commitment. Um, and so actually that initial um, plot of land that we uh, planted together and that was kind of impetus for starting Young Mountain Tea totally failed. Uh, <laughs> and actually I had done a Kickstarter here in Eugene and raised enough money to go buy what I thought was the first harvest. Um, but when that crop failed, uh, I had to figure out other solutions. And so actually that's how we sort of networked into a larger movement of smallholder farmer uh, activity that was happening in the same region, but we just didn't know. And uh, one of the people who's leading that movement, uh, his name's Desmond. He's one of my closest partners today. He's taught me pretty much everything I know about tea. Um, and it's it's truly a, one of the my favorite parts of this is studying uh, tea as a student, as a consumer, uh, and in a business um perspective as well, okay. uh, and recognizing that tea as the world's most consumed beverage after only water has tremendous potential uh, for changing the future for communities, um, but we really have to understand it deeply, as you're saying. And so, um, yeah, from understanding everything from soil types, uh, tea likes acidic soil, for example, to the specific cultivars of the tea bush that we wanted to go with, to the right harvest windows, to the right processing equipment to convert the harvest into a finished tea. Um, yeah, it's been about 10 years of learning, and I feel like I'm still very early in the process. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I'd love to ask entrepreneurs is, is sort of sort almost kind of the nature versus nurture question. Mm. Do you think you were born an entrepreneur or do you think that it was it was the various experiences from, from your parents or just your own life experiences? Yeah, um, I do not think I was born a business owner. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I certainly uh, never studied anything in business. Our families are academics. Um, my family's academics, so I don't have that sort of handed down um, um, sensibility. Um, so everything I've learned has been very much through trial and error. Okay. Um, but as an entrepreneur, I think that that um, is is well suited for the journey, um, a trial and error approach, uh, learning as you go, taking risks. Um, okay. And I think a lot of that got hardwired into me um, a bit from where I grew up in a really rural community where, to be honest, like jumping off cliffs into the water was what we did for fun. And that kind of comfort in taking what were then physical risks translated later to me into taking other types of risks. And I do think that risk and uncertainty are uh, one of the most complicated, interesting, um, and, well, risky parts of the journey. So I think that's there. Um, I think entrepreneurship also involves elements of leadership, which I have certainly had to grow into. I am, by default, a fairly introverted person um, and sort of helping to set vision that inspires other people has been something that I've had to practice. Uh, and I feel very lucky to have a vast network of mentors, including many people locally, to help in that process. So I think there's elements of the entrepreneurial piece that came to me naturally, but a lot of it has been learning uh, along the way. And what about the farmers and the growers that, yeah. that you work with now? Um, you know, chances are very good that, that most people listening to this ha- haven't had the experiences that you've had, nor have they necessarily interacted with the people that you do. Is yeah. Was there a... Um, 
perhaps an element of entrepreneurship in what they do that has has sort of impacted what you do now? A hundred percent. Yeah, thank you for that. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this work is working in villages. You see a different type of entrepreneurship, okay. uh, a different type of talent driven by necessity to make things work and to get it done. Um, and it was actually recognizing like there is so much latent potential in these villages that just doesn't have access to opportunity. And so that's very much how we view the farmers that we work with as micro entrepreneurs who are running businesses uh, that are central to feeding not just themselves but all of us you know there's a quick tangent there's a fun like saying that you know in our lifetime the work of a firefighter we turn to maybe once a policeman hopefully no more than two or three times in our life but a farmer we rely on three times a day and to elevate that to the position of thinking of these as micro entrepreneurs is is very much part of our work and and tied to that agency and self-determination sure um Speaking of farming, we, we, we sit in a, in a valley that's well known for agriculture and, and different crops. How did you get to Eugene and, and Springfield and, and, and where you were going to locate your headquarters? How did you get from the, the, the shores of Lake Superior to, <laughs> to the shores of uh, the Willamette River? Yeah, well, it was the ocean that called me west, definitely. Um, when I was younger, we made a family trip from Seattle down to San Francisco, and it was a stretch in Oregon on the coast that just captured me, specifically Florence. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was always in the back of my mind. Um, I came out for my graduate studies from my master's. Um, and it was coming here and feeling this idea of sustainability wasn't just an intellectual pursuit, but really something woven into the very fabric of the town uh, that was very apparent from a two-day visit. And that plus the fact that uh, the cohort that I'd be entering um, was actively organizing an ultimate frisbee team, <laughs> and I loved ult- I still love ultimate frisbee. I haven't played it in a league for a little while, but um, it was just like wow, this feels like a very good cultural fit. So that's what brought me here. Uh, going to India um, and then coming back was driven by uh, the recognition that this is also a community that supports natural foods in a different type of way. Um, And there's such a richness to even the tea community locally with companies like Yogi, Mountain Rose Herbs, or Oregon Tea Traders. There's a lot of already existing activity and thankfully a spirit of collaboration among those companies. So it was, yeah, trying to get involved here. Uh, There's a little bit of strategic thinking as well. Eugene being sort of a nice in-between spot between Seattle and San Francisco, which are two of the major West Coast tea drinking cities. Um, Access to those markets was part of it. And then, of course, just being able to import tea and have that be on the West Coast as well. Um, So fairly close to different ports was a consideration. But really at the heart of it was this is a community that I feel very good about committing, uh, growing this venture. And and thankfully, um, almost 10 years later, it feels like that has been the right decision. There you go. There you go. Well, our guest is Raj Vable, who is the founder of Young Mountain Tea. uh, We're going to take a quick break and be right back. I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. John Fronmeyer is the former chair of the National Endowment for the Arts. He's a retired attorney, author, and ethicist. The key to ethical action is the ability to act in the face of uncertainty. Because if everything is already certain, you know, there probably aren't a lot of ethical decisions to be made. John Fronmeyer expounds on the place of arts in our culture, competitive sports and fitness, and communicating over differing opinions. On the newest Oregon Grapevine at klcc.org. 
And we're back talking to Raj Vable, who is the founder of Young Mountain Tea in Springfield. So tell us about Young Mountain Tea, uh, what you do, your interesting business model, and, and really so much that you do in terms of obviously working at a company here in Springfield, but so much of your work is done thousands of miles away. Yeah. Um, well, we are a mission-driven social enterprise. And uh, by social enterprise, I mean that we're using the means and tools of business to accomplish ultimately a social and environmental mission. And for us, our mission is to work with Indian and Nepali farmers to raise the quality of their tea so that they can earn more and raise the quality of their life. Um, for us, social and environmental issues for these communities on the other side of the world are, are very tied together. Um, so the fact that we're using... Um, a perennial regeneratively grown crop, um, primarily to drive, um, again, self-determination and agency uh, for rural communities is is a social emphasis. However, the environmental piece is, is very, they don't exist independently. Sure. Um, so yeah, the model is around uh, finding really exciting producers, small farmers that are doing some element of a pioneering approach for the model of tea. And then to work to support them, um, both by giving them market access to the U.S., but then also going much deeper. Uh, and so, for example, in the Kumao region in northern India, which is where I set up the company, uh, the promise was to a group of farmers there. Um, we're setting up the region's first farmer-owned processing facility um, to begin to experiment with shifting ownership of tea's value chain into the hands of the farmers. Um, and that project has led to the creation of several other entities. So the body of work that we now have, there's four entities involved. Um, Young Mountain is the U.S.-based marketing arm. We also have a subsidiary that serves as a holding company that has a majority ownership stake in an Indian private limited, which is a for-profit entity um, that will own this processing facility. Um, and then in addition, we've created a trust that serves as the mechanism by which the farmers have ownership in this processing facility. Um, the plan is really to make that processing facility world-class, both in terms of the quality of teas that it makes, as well as the food safety standards, which a little less glamorous of a thing to prioritize, <laughs> but we found really um, essential to opening the doors to some larger um, business opportunities for these farmers' teas to reach the U.S. Uh, but yeah, once this factory is functional and uh, viable, uh, our plan is to uh, gift our shares to the farmers and go on and set up others. So the idea is demonstrating that when the farmers earn enough, not just from the sale of their harvest, but also from having ownership in the processing step, um, there will be enough income uh, to justify staying in the villages, which is the central challenge uh, of these areas, is that urban migration is hollowing them out. I see. Um, so we move on and scale it. Um, and, and the way that looks in the U.S., um, you know, really what we're able to do is be a bridge between the producers and the consumers. Um, so by offering unparalleled levels of transparency up to origin, down to the cultivar uh, and the names of the farmers that we work with, um, as well as having authentic impact. We're not just going into communities and putting in wells, but rather actively organizing farmers into organizations to have ownership uh, shares and, and participating in governance in ways that uh, many of these farmers, I should mention, 90%, in fact, are women. Um, and so there's also a gender component to the work that we do. Um, but yeah, in the U.S., the way the work, the model works is we sell the teas uh, both under our own label, the Young Mountain brand, which 
We've got about 30 teas at youngmountaintea.com. <laughs> um, and then also... It's okay to pitch, pitch your website on, on the podcast. Great. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have checked before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in addition to, to that, we distribute through a handful of stores under our own brand. But then um, a lot of the business is also selling it in bulk to other tea companies, uh, to distributors. Um, and so that looks like you know the teas that we import, just turning them around and sending them out back by the pallet into the world. Um, all of this is driven by an emphasis to figure out how do we move enough volume of tea from these farmers to actually have a meaningful impact on their life. And just the last part of the model that I'd love to highlight is, is for us when we talk about impact, it's not just raising income, but it's really this idea of agency uh, and empowerment, uh, which is a much longer term and kind of complicated type of work because it's not numeric. It's it's really about um, standing alongside the farmers. And uh, the way we do that as a U.S.-based company and me as an American-born um, person uh, who's largely an outsider to these communities is really to rely on the strength of partnerships with on-the-ground um, nonprofits that specialize in this work. And so I was there um, two weeks ago uh, taking next steps, and actually we'll have a call tomorrow to hear how the first – series of trainings with a specific farmer group has gone. Um, but that's really the magic for me. You know, the conversations and everything like, wow, this person has a chance to live a different type of life because of the work that we're doing together. That's really what the whole business model is built around enabling. Sure. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking one of the critiques of our food system or, or, or beverage system in, in America is is that a a company spends uh, company X spends so much time you know developing products to get to the consumer. But what you're doing is is you're making sure that the people on the ground are in many ways taken care of. So it's a great I, I'm drawing a circle in the air, but it, it it really feels like that that you, you're 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 developing something that is both environmentally sustainable, but it's also business sustainable sustainable too. That's right. Yeah. And and the thesis of all of this work is that you can build a lucrative business that also is ethically and environmentally sound. Um, and thankfully, there's many other examples of those businesses to learn from, whether it's our friends at Mountain Rose Herbs or companies like Patagonia. I think that we're part of a wave of businesses that recognize this idea of conscious capitalism, that business can exist for uh, a higher goal than just profit uh, is not only possible, but really necessary if we're going to fix some of the inequities that we know are leading to deep divisions in society and with our relationship to the natural world. You know, um, one of the things that, that that you're so adept at is is you found this region that is obviously very conducive to, to, to tea growing. It has its issues. You talked about a hollowing out of, of the workforce as they move to the to urban environments. I mean, in some ways, you're a tea company, but you're also dealing with systemic problems in all sorts of regions. Um, how much of your mind space is, is occupied, occupied with, I'm running a company, but I'm also trying to help a population that ultimately gets back to running, yeah. gets back to my company. You know, your mind must be going a million miles an hour to try and figure out how, how all these inputs fit together. Talk a little bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, yesterday we were having our finance group's call, and the central conversation was around the team's bandwidth to pull off, you know, running four different entities, yeah. um, each with its own board of directors and uh, reporting requirements, both in India and the U.S. 
Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it really comes down to like the basics of effective time management um, and being really rigorous about prioritizing what needs to get done versus um, what maybe can happen but doesn't need to need to happen. Um, but yeah, to your point, certainly figuring out how to manage, you know, growing, say, the sales of Young Mountain while also like switching from that conversation into one about how we're going to think through the transportation logistics to get women who need their husband's permission to a training venue. <laughs> it's it's a pretty big mental um, acrobatic leap, but it's actually my favorite part. <laughs> it's it's the spanning of these two head spaces that actually has the most energy for me. Um, Certainly, yeah, one of the things I'm trying to get better about is actually tracking my time. Uh, I hope <laughs> our team is hearing that <laughs> so that we can make sure that time is getting allocated and put into the right places. Um, but uh, the other part of that is, um, you know, the long-term plan is to build out much more robust teams for each of these entities. So it's not just one or two people, but, you know, fundamental to my view on, on long-term viability for any organization is that the founder eventually needs to be able to step away. Um, and, you know, if an organization is too dependent on a founder, it's, it's vulnerable. Um, so a lot of the systems we built um, are, are with that in mind. That And there's a lot of documentation we have. And thankfully, we have a very uh, involved group of advisors uh, and mentors and directors on our board. Um, so Thankfully, it's not just me doing this work, but it's truly a team effort, um, both for the team that I have the joy of working with, as well as all of our uh, supporters. Indeed, indeed. Well, we'll talk more about the team in a second. We're going to take an, our next break. We're talking with Raj Vavle. He is the founder of Young Mountain Tea. We'll be right back. The car that I donated actually was my parents' car. It needed some work to be done on it, and it got to the point that the cost of the repairs was going to be greater than the car was even worth so I decided to check with my dad to see if he agreed that maybe we should just donate it. Yeah, he was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that he got a tax write-off, and uh, he was happy that we supported public radio. Learn more about supporting KLCC by way of a vehicle donation at our website, klcc.org. And we're back talking to Raj Vable, the founder of Young Mountain Tea. Let's talk about culture. Obviously, many, uh, every business leader needs to think about the culture of his or her enterprise um, and how the teams are going to work together. And I imagine you spend a lot of time thinking about that. But of course, you also need to think about the culture of a business, but you also need to think about two cultures, American culture and an Asian culture in terms of how that all fits. How do you work to integrate or respect and build upon two cultures coming together to form a company that 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 can be successful and meet all of your mission requirements wow thank you for the question it's a big one um (laughs) maybe i'll start from the team side and then kind of grow into the international piece okay um at the team level yeah culture is everything for us um and we actually have eight pillars to our team culture that we have collectively come up with and what we hold ourselves accountable to. And that actually flows through to when we do our performance reviews. Um, We say, we ask everybody to self-identify. How do you feel you're doing against what we've all agreed to as being cornerstones of what it means to be part of this team? Um, And we reinforce that. Uh, We're a 
remote team, well, a hybrid team. Um, so, you know, we come together every year. We have a camping trip, uh, which is very explicitly around bonding and less about doing work, but just enjoying each other's company. Um, and really, as, as maybe simple as this might sound, the simple act of drinking tea together really is fundamental to the culture. Um, there is something to sharing a beverage, to sharing breaking bread, <laughs> uh, sure. food that I, I fundamentally believe in. Um, and I think it kind of unites us in that, you know, while we ha- have this very complicated modern life, at the end of the day, we all need water uh, <laughs> to drink. And there's something powerful about sharing that. So I would say it's a little bit of those pieces that come together. Um, and then also um, on the team part, maybe the last thing is that um, fundamental to the to the approach that I've tried to set up and that I hope uh, my team also feels is that we view each other first and foremost as humans and not as coworkers. Uh, and a lot of our interactions are around making sure that we're supporting each other, um, not just in work, but outside of it. Um, but so then, yeah, scaling that or stretching that to the India side um, where, you know, the cultural differences are enormous. Um, one of the most interesting ones for me is the concept of time. Uh, in India, time is much more fluid than in the U.S., uh, where it's discrete. You can waste time. You can spend it. Uh, it's, a, it's a commodity. <laughs> ah, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, yeah. Uh, rural India, that's not the case. <laughs> and I think that holds true for many agricultural um, communities, but especially um, in India. And so learning how to bridge those cultures and to bring um, aspects of that very different value system into our work is an ongoing process. Um, a big part of that for me is to stay connected to the Indian side of our work. I go there typically twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall this year because of this processing facility. I've gone three times and we'll go three times next year. Um, and when we can, we bring team members with us so that there's this sort of continual cross-pollination of experiences, of um, backgrounds, and of personality types, which just makes the whole experience more rich for everybody involved. And our goal is to also bring that to the people that end up drinking our teas. You know, our um, the way we've described internally our, our approach to branding is the aesthetic is uh, the vibrance of India went to the minimalism of Japan and took a walk in the uh, Northwest. Ah, interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, this idea of synthesizing cultures and not trying to just stay firmly in one. We're not trying to be an Indian tea company. We're trying to be an American tea company. We're trying to be a bridge between the two that also pulls from the rich history of tea from across the world um, is one of the more fun parts of our work. Uh, you know, what is the Indian tea aesthetic is something that hasn't really clearly been identified. Other cultures have these uh, very refined ceremonies, like the Japanese tea ceremonies, like the most well-known example. But um, India, because its industry was a legacy of the British colonial era, never developed its own really um, intentional specialty tea aesthetic. And so... Hmm. That's one of the pieces, that's one of the areas where trying to bring in um, the culture of the origin and of the, really, the work that we're serving um, into not just our team, but into the broader community. And that's how we think of it. It's not just our team and then customers. It's our team, our wholesale partners, and all our tea drinking friends. Um, 
so yeah, uh, I'd say it's it's an ongoing um, oscillation between the two for me, myself that helps to continue to stitch it together, uh, and just making sure that at the root of it all is just an appreciation and a love of life. Because <laughs> yeah, no. I think that transcends all cultures. Indeed, indeed. You know, speaking of transcending or perhaps being emulated, do you think your model can be, can, do you think other food companies, other beverage companies can emulate your model specifically about being a successful company that sells a product, but also being stewards of the ultimate growers and whatnot and, and sort of bringing that together? Yeah, I definitely think there is huge potential for other companies to do the same. Yeah, I feel we are, again, part of a wave of a new way of doing business, um, but certainly just at the very beginning of it. Uh, I'm really excited and I participate in a number of uh, groups uh, and fellowships to bring people uh, doing this kind of work together, and it's happening. Um, so to your answer to your question, yeah, I definitely think that there's tremendous scope for other businesses to do the same. Um, and we're learning from a lot of them, and we're trying to learn alongside them by contributing our own experiences. But the balancing of sort of purpose and profit, mission and margin, um, these things, I, I think... Hopefully, we'll get to a point where it doesn't need to be a choice, but rather just uh, a recognition that you know, we have to think about more than just the financials and, and thinking about how a business is successful. But of course, we also need to recognize, and we are still early stage and still very much uh, in the throes of making sure that it does need to be financially viable as well. Um, so I think it's both sides of it that need to be held. Um, and really, I think that the way we've tried to make that not just something we talk about but something we act on is bringing that into the governance structures of the the companies that we work with and making sure it's part of every conversation that we have sure um more of a nuts and bolts question but obviously you need to get the tea from (laughs) india to the united states yeah you know what are some of the hurdles i mean it's I guess in one one regard, so it's the two largest democracies in the world, you know, <laughs> joining forces. But I imagine there are tremendous hurdles of getting the product from the fields and the hillsides to a cup here in Springfield or San Francisco or Seattle. Yeah. Uh, I was, when you initially asked, what are the hurdles? I'm like, it's all hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> There's no open track. It's just right. a bunch of hurdles. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess like... The the quick summary of the supply chain is, you know, the farmers grow the tea in a field. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets harvested immediately after processing on site. Uh, so uh, the finished good is actually made right in the tea garden itself. From there, it gets packaged up uh, and then shipped down to one of the exporting ports. Uh, Kolkata is the main one that we use, or Calcutta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we bring it over to the U.S. Uh, typically, it's either Portland or San Francisco or L.A. Um, that we clear it through and then bring it up to our warehouse. Um, and, yeah, thankfully, we've been able to link in with some larger partners who support this work. And it's really, you know, the, the export-import game, it's so much about just people on the ground knowing how to get stuff through, particularly with COVID and the shortages of shipping containers. 
So we've been fortunate to have people who said, yeah, we can help you out. Uh, you know, we're, we're now getting to the point where shipping full containers is more uh, regular. But certainly in the growing years, I mean, the, and we're still very much growing, but when we were partial containers, it was definitely relying on the good graces and support of more established players to really the, the export from Kolkata to the import process, like those two, that, that leg was the most complicated to get figured out. And yeah, we're very thankful for the people that we work with who are really good at what they do. Um, I'll say that part of that has also been on the India side um, to intentionally work with some of the more established pioneers uh, by selling their tea. You know, when we are purchasing from them, they have a much different uh type of interest in helping support some of the other projects we're doing than if we're just asking for their pro bono support. So it's been making sure that we're um, asking for favors, but also not out of tune to making sh- uh, to taking advantage of things and also, you know, creating win-wins for everybody. Sure. So uh, last question for you before we wrap up, you know, kind of what is your grand vision maybe into the future? What, what, if, we, if, if, if we revisit in five to ten years, what would Young Mountain Tea look like and what would the entire holistic uh, relationship look like to you or, or your hopes of what it would look like? Yeah, wow. Yes, this question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, let's start on the India side. Uh, That is a flourishing rural community um, in the first village that we're working with in the five to 10 year range. This processing facility is up. It provided an anchor to providing not only economic growth for the community, but also a form of empowerment to the women that are involved with it. And we're looking at setting up the next couple. Uh, we already have three other sites that we're hoping that we can uh, bring this model to in that region. Um, that tea is coming into the U.S., but not only the U.S. We'd love to expand into Germany and to Japan as some other international markets. Um, and uh, the idea of organic, direct trade, ethical tea is not an exception, but is becoming more an expectation uh, for what people consume. Um, And so that looks like in the U.S., Young Mountain being a thought leader in this space of what does um, regenerative, grown, ethically sourced tea look like and how do we verify that that's not just greenwashing but legitimately uh, solid claims, uh, which take the form, again, of the transparency that we offer. But hopefully by that point, we'll also be resurrecting something that we had done previously, which are bringing groups of people to origin so they can meet the farmers as well. Um, So it is... The vision is really this idea of a bridge between cultures. And in the next five to 10 years, I think we're going to put some serious stones to building that bridge um, in a stronger way so that people feel the connection back to the farmer. Right? Three times a day, we already rely on them. Um, and we value that, that relationship um, a little bit more than we do right now. Yeah. Well, Raj, this is a fascinating story, and I really appreciate you coming in. It, 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 it's going to be interesting to track Young Mountain's progress over the years, because I think that, uh, you know, what you're doing, it, it, it certainly sounds like it, it can be translatable, sustainable, but also it just sounds like it, it makes our world a better place. Thank you. Um It certainly has been the great joy of my life to do this work and with the people that I get to do it with. Uh, And we hope that at the end of the day, it does make the world a little bit more beautiful. Great. Thanks again for coming in. That was our conversation with Raj Vable, the founder of Young Mountain Tea. Raj's vision is to both sell great tea and perhaps more importantly, make sure the growers of the product can succeed as well. 
This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening. Thank you.